Hello, I'm Adam, and welcome to Tales from the Potting Bench, a gardening podcast where you'll hear tales and stories from the most interesting and different people from the world of both indoor and outdoor gardening. This season is sponsored by the wonderful people at Plant Grow, producers of award-winning organic fertilisers made with zero chemicals, great for your garden and even greater for the planet. This episode features innovator of No Dig, Charles Dowding. We discuss the many, many benefits to this method of growing and how Charles's passion continues with trying to educate as many people as possible about the ways of No Dig. This is a fascinating conversation with a true green-fingered legend, and one that you won't want to miss. Enjoy. For anyone that is listening that perhaps hasn't come across your good self, what is it that you do and how did you get into what you do? I'm a market gardener originally by profession. That's what I've done all my life since I was 22 and I'm now 62 and I've been moving in the later part of my gardening career into also teaching about it and writing because even from the very beginning, I was really fascinated by soil health and that led me to no dig, which means leaving the soil alone undisturbed and feeding soil life and not using fertilizers fees, no synthetic inputs at all. I don't use any of that, I don't use any slug pellets. It's just very pure, very simple. As in, I'd emphasize that word simple. I hope it won't make anyone recall because simple, simple can be good, you know, it's straightforward. Anyone can understand it, including three-year-old kids. <laughs> so it, it's a lovely process. And I've always been organic because I, I worry about health, um, health ramifications of using chemicals, synthetic chemicals. I grew up on a dairy farm just six miles from here where I am in Somerset, UK. And I saw what was being practiced. It wasn't terrible, but I, you know, quite a lot of stuff that I didn't think were brilliant for, <laughs> for people to get close to. Yeah. And so I've, I've, I've always practiced that all my life. And it's only lately that, that, that I found people really interested in, in what I'm doing, say the last 15 years. Um, I wrote my first book around 16 years ago. And since then, I've, I've scaled down on the market gardening, which is growing uh, food for profit, if you like, <laughs> to make a living, which yeah. is really difficult. It's more and more difficult, in fact. And, and I've, you know, financially, it's a lot easier, actually, to, to teach and write. But I, I'm not doing that for the money. I just want to get this word out there because that's why I'm delighted you asked me to be on this podcast. It's, you know, another opportunity to say things which I feel will benefit so many people, if, both if they've heard of it already, um, but also more particularly if they haven't, because there's, there's huge issues around this very simple uh, process. Definitely. So I think no dig as a concept is is certainly uh, more more well known than it perhaps ever was. I think, and that is uh, obviously a massive part because of because of yourself. And you've mentioned about it's the it's the lack of kind of disturbing the soil and all the other the, all the other parts of it. Essentially, I think for people that don't necessarily know what no dig is. I think it's as simple as uh, as that lack of disturbance with the soil, but there is there is more to it than that. And you, you've you've spoken there about the the soil health and I suppose the the reasons for not digging as such. If you had to really summarise no dig in a in a kind of really simple, this is what it is. How how would you do that? Well, maybe one should separate out the two things. So the first would be the the process itself. 
the lack of disturbance and feeding the soil life. And that leads on to a whole load of other interesting facets. So mm. I, I was practicing it in the 1980s without really understanding all of these other beautiful results. And, and I could see what was happening in terms of there were very few weeds growing. I, my garden was famous for being much more weed free than pretty well anybody else's in, in the world of organic market gardening, where there were usually a lot of weeds, it must be said. And uh, with no dig, because you're not disturbing the soil, it, it's not only that you're not bringing up fresh weed seeds to the surface, it's also that the soil is literally undisturbed. And I've come to understand the soil through, the, through this, you know, seeing things and trying to work out, well, how can that be that it's so weed free? Uh, obviously, I get some weed seeds blowing in and that kind of thing, but they're, they're very easy to remove. They're, they're growing in the surface compost mostly or the wood chips we put on the pathways. So I'm feeding all my soil surface, but it's remarkably less weeds even than that. And, and I have come to see the soil as a living organism. You know, like, yeah. like like an animal, if you like, like a human being, you, you know, in, in that sense, it's 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 um, an entity. And when it's not disturbed, it doesn't need to heal. You know, that's that's the result of looking at soil in that way. Any organism that, that has been damaged needs a healing process. And one of the soil's healing processes is weeds, <laughs> unfortunately, for people who, who dig or rotivate. You know, rotivating is a classic one because you're really hammering the soil and knocking it about big damage. And there's a saying in the farming world around here, chickweed follows the rotivator and in my gardens over the decades i've um, made four market gardens actually since 1982 uh, moved around a bit and you know chickweed is a weed i hardly ever see and then i'll see other places where they're digging things and, and i was advising actually biggest state garden a few years back and chickweed was definitely their number one weed and they were really worried about it and they were even not using their own compost because they were afraid of spreading chickweed seeds oh wow yeah it had really got to that point and that that really brought it home to me you know the, the other way of gardening and, and where it can lead you and i managed to persuade them that no no dig was really good and i was talking to the head gardener and then she actually ended up getting a meeting with all the gardeners and so that was a brilliant thing because I needed to get everyone on board with this. And like the guy who has spent the winter digging, I said to him, well, you can spread the winter spreading compost. Yeah. And, you know, he's still digging out the compost, if you like. <laughs> They've got a lot to spread. And so his eyes lit up. Yeah, that was OK. And, and you know, then I was explaining to them how the, the result would be a lot less weeding chores next summer. They, they could have more fun. They could be creative and, and enjoy themselves a bit more. And, uh, I, I wasn't totally convinced at that point that it was all going to happen exactly as I'd hoped. But I have heard from them since and it's gone really well oh. and generally that's that's what i'm hearing people even just from watching my videos not talking to me in person or anything you know just it's a pretty simple process and, and all over the world as well i've had a lovely one from bangalore and and one from sao paulo and brazil and quite a few from south america oh, wow. uh, where people have been running very successful both gardens and market gardens actually are using the, the, the very simple no-dig principles so any listener who's not heard of it I'd, I'd urge you to at least look into it and and don't be daunted you know it's, it, it is simpler than you might think and one thing that leads on from this is because it's such a healthy process healthy for the soil mm. that's so much key because from that you you unravel a lot of the complications that have been laid on gardeners about things they're supposed to do yeah <laughs> for example rotation oh, this is something i've already really felt confident of talking about until quite recently because i'm doing trials here where I'm doing quite a few trials in my garden and i've got one one bed which is six and a half meters long that's nearly 20 feet and i grow potatoes in that bed 1.2 meter four foot wide every year and this is the eighth year of growing potatoes in that very same soil very occasionally they have like not much actually uh, occasionally had a bit of black rock but it, it's very clean at the moment and, and if anything they look this year they look healthier than they've ever looked and that's the eighth year and, and also that's saving my own seed 
So I'm not saying that rotation is a bad thing, but I think often it's overstated as something mm. that you're supposed to need to do. And and a lot of the rules, when when supposed rules, you know, if you take them away, things get a lot easier and yeah. more enjoyable. <laughs> so that's what yeah. I really have come to appreciate about no dig. You know, the, the secondaries, if you like. You're, you're totally right. It's, it's funny you say that. I was talking to uh, Michael Marriott. Um, I don't know if you know him. He's a he's kind of a Rose expert. He worked for David Austin for a long yeah, time. Certainly. And we were, we were talking about a similar thing in a way, is that when he started uh, at David Austin, which was 30 years ago, the, the standard thing to do with roses was to spray them. And that was just part and parcel. Uh, it was kind of not not really questioned necessarily. It was just part and parcel of of growing roses. And I think you're right. Uh, there are certain things that we do as gardeners or growers or in farming or whatever that are just, um, I suppose, things that we've always done and nobody necessarily questions them. And I think you a lot of what you're saying is that a lot of the benefits of no dig actually almost eradicate a lot of the the horrible jobs that we do that we don't like doing and that we do just because. That's what we've always been told to do. Yeah, totally. I trace it back to the Victorians a lot, uh, or too much reverence for the Victorians. And I would even say until recently that the RHS have got a bit down that road, you know, that mm. because they you respect these lovely old gardens. They, they just look amazing. You know, places even like Westine College in Chichester Gardens, although they, they've got no dig recently. Uh, you know, but because it's the Victorian infrastructure and, and the Victorians were famous for having beautiful gardens and, and everything looked lovely and, and they'll stick with those practices. But mm. are they necessarily suitable nowadays and are they the best ones? Why did progress stop at the Victorian times? You know, yeah. we, we need to keep moving forwards. And there's a lot of new understandings about soil now and this, what's called the soil biome, the biology of the soil. Yeah, it links a bit to what you you were saying with Michael and 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 like how plants grow as well. We we understand more, and we we don't need to keep hitting them with fertilizer and pesticides. We can encourage them to grow more uh, in a positive way, rather than fighting the enemy, so to speak. We we can maneuver around it and grow healthier plants, and then we don't need a lot of this stuff that they've been trying to tell us is yeah. necessary. Yeah, definitely. I think there's it's obviously as we go on through time and and science and kind of. I suppose a lot of common sense improves. Yeah. Um, there's that link between, I suppose, what we put in the soil and then how that then links back to us in terms of what, what we're eating. I know that's something that you, you're really passionate about, yeah. is that link between soil health and, and human well, health. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not vegetarian, but I do eat mostly vegetables and I just love it. I just love eating produce from my garden here. It tastes so good. I feel so good on it. And I'm sure there is, and it's being discovered more and more now, this link between the soil biology and the biology of our guts. It's very similar microbes in there and and the lovely things like this doesn't necessarily apply to no dig actually but just being in a garden you, you you're picking up these bacteria called bacillum vaca b-a-double-c-a with an e on if it's plural and they they're vital for our bodies to make serotonin the feel good mood factor and so you know maybe that's one reason gardeners tend to be quite happy people and another one is tryptophan which you get by eating a bit of soil and and that's also linked to production of serotonin in the brain and so eating a bit of soil is actually really good suddenly and, and i love saying this to kids i do a bit of work now with children and um, i've actually got a book coming out next spring no dig for kids <laughs> they they totally get it and they, I was giving a talk once at a primary school where the kids were listening, a whole, whole a school assembly, about 120 children between the age of four and 11. And I said, did you know that eating soil is good for you? And the whole <laughs> hall erupted in, you know, exclamation and laughter. And all the teachers were like, oh, because it's sort of horrible at first. 
but yeah, that is just that kind of thing that, that we've we've got away from. We've moved away from nature, I think, a bit too much and try to sterilize everything. And you know, with seed trays and plant trays, a similar story. And even say the RHS now acknowledge you don't need to actually clean or sterilize your trays, you can just keep reusing them. That's always worked for me for 40 years, you know, and mm. that makes life a lot simpler. So yeah, it's beautiful, it's healthy. And it's just the way forwards, I feel. So you you mentioned then, uh, or you mentioned earlier about that you kind of came to it in 82. What was it that, that highlighted it for you? How, where did your no-dig journey start then? Oh, that's a good question. I'm pretty sure the first time I came across it was in the Soil Association, which I joined in 1981. Mm. And a neighbour in my village had, had a few of their older journals and I was reading through them. And there was some from the late 40s, early 50s, where people were talking about No Dig. And there was a famous one actually from Levens Hall in Cumbria, mm. uh, Lake District, where the head gardener, F.C. King, did some Dig No Dig trials. And he, he wrote a book called The Weed Problem, published by Faber in 1951. And I got hold of a copy of that. And it states very clearly his results and and you know he was a highly experienced gardener right. in his 60s when he wrote this so there's no reason to doubt what he was saying and he just outlined very clearly the benefit and then when, when i read that and that's written in 19 published 1951 there's another guy called arthur guest of barnsley minor who on his retirement promoted no dig wrote a book as well so it, it was around and you think i think why didn't it take on because there's so much going for it it's, it's easier it's quicker Results are actually better. You've got fewer weeds and, and plants are at least as healthy and, and so on. But it just hasn't taken off. But anyway, so the, the seeds were sown in my mind from that. And then I came across a book by an American journalist, writer, a gardener called Ruth Stout, who'd written about no dig using a hay mulch. And that made sense to me because I thought, well, that will get rid of my weeds. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was worried about weeds when I started out. I was cropping an acre and a half in my first year and I couldn't imagine facing that if I was going to have lots of weeds so I spread a lot of old hay um, following Ruth Stout's advice and then I got a lot of slugs eating my plants and I thought this is odd she didn't say anything about this in her book so I went back to the book that I'd read by her and hardly a mention about slugs and then the penny dropped she's in uh, Connecticut very hot dry summers cold winters no slugs So that shows how you need to adapt the method. No dig's still good, but it, instead of hay, now I use composter because compost does not give habitat for slugs. Right. Oh, that makes that makes so much sense. I think <laughs> it's funny. Funny you say that about the about the slugs, and it's kind of just coming to me now to think of what the uh, to play devil's advocate in a way, and because I think we talk we talk about no no dig in a very positive way, rightly. But are there? I mean, there must be downsides to it. What are, what are there, if, if there are any? Oh, well, sorry. I'm a good chuckle here. Honestly, I really struggle to find a downside because I, I, mm. I reckon I could pretty much answer any question that you might have. I'm talking about yeah. slugs, for example. You know, I didn't know at first. It's just one I'm finding out more all the time, and, and it's, it's pretty much fascinating and, and, and validates the process because, for example, I didn't realise you ground beetles commonly eat slug eggs. And right. when soil is disturbed, you're, you know, you're, you're breaking up a lot of the soil life. We, one thing scientists have come to realize is the importance of the soil ecology. And some people call it soil food web. It goes under many names, but it's all that process of life in the soil, including mycorrhizal, the mycelial network, for example. Uh, when I started, that was not thought to help vegetables to grow at all. Scientific papers I read in 1982 were saying very clearly that mycorrhizal Fungi, the mycorrhizal network did not help vegetables to grow. They didn't use it basically. It was only for trees and shrubs for woody plants. 
Wow. And it's only recently that it, it's realised that that's not true. Actually, vegetable roots do connect with the mycorrhizal network and that helps them to grow. So if you've cultivated, you've broken the net, this network with, of potential roots, really, that's what the mycelial network is. It's like a root system that's already in place in the soil, waiting to connect with your plant's roots. And it's mutual benefit to both of them because the plants absorb sunlight, photosynthesize that, then they can send carbon, which is the food for the mycelial network. And in return, the, the mycelial threads go searching for food, nutrients, and moisture, and they can penetrate little cracks in soil, which roots can't even get into. So they're very good at finding what the plants need. And for me, that explains something I've long observed, which is how I put plants in the ground. They, they don't do much for the first few days, depending on the time of year. And then suddenly they take off. You know, it's just like, whoa, what's going on here? It all seems to be happening more now. And uh, maybe because every passing year, you know, the network's getting stronger. And it's wonderful to behold. And, and I, I'm pretty sure now that that's the reason why. But it's like, I've, you know, I've been doing all these things without really understanding the process. And there's loads more to find out. And that's one reason it's so lovely. You know, what is science? For me, science is about understanding nature. That's the original definition, I would say, of science from Renaissance times. You know, it's not going into a laboratory and measuring things quantitatively, although that can be part of it. The more important part is making all the links between the different things you discover and understanding the process. And in fact, I must quote at this point Sheila Das, who's the um, manager of the edible gardens at Wisley, RHS, and also runs the education program there. And she quoted someone else who'd, <laughs> who'd been teaching her. And they said, very simple phrase, they said, it's not what you know, it's what you understand. I mean, isn't that lovely? Yeah. That's incredible. So uh, that's and that I think leads really nicely into what you try to do outside of just kind of understanding the principles of nodic. So you're you're very passionate about, I suppose, education and about sharing your knowledge of this as well. And that's something you do from your from your home as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it gives me great joy. We have real fun here, actually. Like this last weekend, I had a group of 15 who signed up to the weekend course. And the weekends are amazing. You have a bit more time to get to know people. They have time to get to know each other. And it was a group with particularly lovely characters who had great sense of humour. And it was pretty much laughter from the very beginning but i think it was picking up on all these great vibes uh, surrounding no dig you know that that's always in the background if you like uh, but it's learning about growing vegetables and yeah the, the courses here are going really well we're getting very good response uh, nice groups of people uh, they get great food i think that helps as well um the, you know i employ a chef to cook lovely food and we're even bringing out a cookbook actually for the recipes um later in the year and yeah i've got a lovely host lady who looks after them it just goes really well uh, alongside that i'm running online courses and, and writing stuff so yeah i'm really working hard to get the message out there <laughs> You are. You, you're certainly keeping yourself busy because you've got a book. I mean, you've mentioned two other books that I didn't even know about, but you've got No <laughs> yeah. Dig that's coming out in September. What I suppose I was going to say, what are your aims with the book? But I presume that's that's more about just spreading the word, isn't it? Yeah. The, no, the book in September actually is, is it's been fantastic working with Dorlin Kindersley because of their huge publishing experience and contacts all over the world. Mm. And I think probably it'll get translated into a few languages, which is something I've always hoped would happen. But it's it's very much a compendium of everything we know about no dig at the moment and, and the science behind it um, how to make compost as well and then as well as that it's got a, a, a very comprehensive um, description of how to grow pretty much every all the common vegetables and quite a few of the herbs as well so it's it's a kind of all-in-one gardening book the the other books i've written are a bit more specialized they look at different aspects things like timing say and succession and, and so on you know which are all totally interesting <laughs> 
aspects of gardening, but the Dolling Kindersley one coming out in summer, it's just called No Dig. It brings it all together in, in one place. And then the No Dig for Kids next year, that's that's really exciting. I've got two two young kids and we, we try to get them involved in as much in the garden as we can. So that, that will be fantastic. Yeah, that's published by Welbeck. Um, it hasn't really been in that yet, as you hope it had oh. because the big one coming out is the DK book, and, and yeah. that's what we're concentrating on. But you know, I'm using that book really just to illustrate the level of interest in No Dig, and mm. across all ages, you know, so we get quite a few older people on the courses here, for example, who'll say, "I'm too old for digging. <laughs> you know, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> so I just want an easier method." Uh, but then you've got the really young ones. We get a lot now, which we didn't used to get before, a lot in their twenties, even teens. Who, who, because they're, they're seeing the connection between not working the soil, kind of using the soil in a different way, and, and for example, um, keeping carbon in the soil, because no, nobody does that just by default. You're not disturbing the soil. You've got less escape of CO2, which is totally beneficial. Carbon is the building block of soil life. We don't want to lose it. We want to keep it in the ground. So again, that's where Nodig is so good. And you get better drainage because you haven't disturbed the structure at any level. You don't get any zones of different density of soil between like uh, aerated soil above and then undisturbed below that actually worsens drainage so when you're digging often you're making drainage more difficult and I've got good examples of that and then at the same time you're improving moisture uh, retention because you're not losing moisture when you cultivate or anything and because the roots can go can go down deeper they can bring it up from below so it's just it's a win-win in, in so many ways. Wow so I just thinking about your uh, about your home and do you I haven't necessarily seen this on on Instagram so I don't know whether this is the case or not but do you only grow veg uh, or do you, do you grow flowers as well? <laughs> yeah I do actually. Yeah. I don't talk much about my flowers I probably should uh, but um, no dig works beautifully for flowers you know that it's it's a universal process really and probably I just put a bit less compost where I'm growing flowers because yeah. often we're not with the vegetables we're double cropping every year pretty much on all the beds and like it's coming up this time of year now or already where we twist out the first plant and pop in a second one with no extra compost the compost is just once a year mm -hmm. two two and a half to three centimeters you know an inch um, that's all and that that feeds the soil enough to grow two harvests of vegetables with the flowers we put on a bit less than that um, maybe two thirds or something like that two centimeters that would be enough it's not a huge amount and for what you get from it um you know some people say you need problem with no diggers you need lots of compost you actually don't you know you can do it with very little and the the dig no dig trial beds i run show which give a higher yield by about 10 percent every year from the no dig and they both use the same amount of compost therefore from no dig you're getting more kilos of food for the same amount of compost you know that's a really joyful um yeah. result for all, everybody uh, but flowers yeah great and the most British cut flower growers, for example, are using the no-dig method. So it's, it's totally wonderful for flower growing. That's really interesting to know, actually, that especially that that extra yield that you're getting. I mean, it's, it's pretty indisputable evidence, isn't it, to be honest? Yeah. Um, again, that you know, brings me back to very interesting psychological questions. You know, like I would say, and I'm, I'm open to debate this with anybody, but I would say that no-dig is, is common sense. It just makes sense that mm. anyone should do it, really. So I'm puzzled why it's been quite slow to catch on. It is going faster now, and it's the kind of ripple effect. And I think we will quite soon see fairly rapid uptake. But it probably shows more than anything that the force of tradition and many people actually just don't like change. I mean, fair enough, if you don't, you don't. But having said that, you know, why would you not want to embrace a method that will save you time and 
give you more food uh, for, for less effort. It doesn't make any sense, does it, that to, to not? I mean, it literally makes things easier. You get a better re result from it. I mean, there's, li there's literally no reason to not do it. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm very interested, actually, to talk to people on social media, because I can find out more about the, the other thought processes. And mm. it's one thing I think uh, can happen if you're not careful. You, you're in an echo chamber with, with your fans and your followers and uh, on social media, and it all, it's all beautiful. And then every so often I'll get someone with a problem and, and you know I value that because you can see the other side of what's going on yeah, yeah. and two recently one was a, a woman in America I think actually totally I'm not totally clear but she was having a problem nothing was growing and it turned out the compost she'd used was too fresh and right. that seeing happen quite a bit so anyone who's listening who's having problems with things not growing in the compost that's probably why it's not your fault and the symptoms would be things like plants staying yellow then it's basically not growing they're just sitting there not necessarily dying but the composting process is still happening in that compost you put on it was probably warm when you applied it because because it was like using non non-finished compost although it looks finished that's the problem and then your plants can't compete with the microorganisms in the compost that are using the nutrients to finish the decomposition process if you've got that happening don't despair Probably in the second half of the year, if you applied it in the spring or winter, it, it, things will improve. You could even get really good growth. Um, and then another one that happened, a uh, comment recently, was a guy who just said, I'm going back to digging. <laughs> he, I, I don't know what it was quite. He, he, he's on wheeled clay. He's on heavy clay. And he just said his, his soil was too hard. And, you know, it was hard to find out exactly why he couldn't use a bit more compost because... Um, to give you an example of that, Sissinghurst National Trust Garden, they've got a no-dig market garden. I was advising them as long ago as 2012 on that one, uh, through Sarah Raven, actually. And they, they, they were having trouble making it work with machinery, and they switched from trying to grow vegetables on four acres with cultivating to growing no-dig on one acre. So they ended up using the same amount of compost, but concentrating it more and actually getting pretty much as much food, but for a lot less time and effort. And that was on this really heavy yellow camp clay. And I think that this guy possibly just was needed a bit more compost. And I think there's also a misunderstanding here in, in with between no dig and digging, which is people often talk about their soil being compact or compacted when actually it's just firm. And mm -hmm. firm soil is good because the corollary of that is that with no dig, you can walk on your beds. You can walk on your beds because you haven't broken the structure and loosened it it's when you've broken the structure it's like it's broken you've got to then be really careful with it and if you walk on it you're going to squash it down again and you're kind of worse off than you were even before you dug because you, you then got broken and squashed and and that's compacted but when it's firm as it is particularly when it's dry uh with no dig that's fine roots can go through that and it will take your weight as well and so sometimes i think people worry about their soil being firm or hard they might even call it compact but it's not compact it's not damaged it's just hard and firm have confidence <laughs> have trust in the soil life process amazing do you know i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to book a, uh, a course i'm gonna have to come down and hear more <laughs> about it. the more i hear about it we've got such a small garden so and we we I won't say that we're strictly no dig, but we I try to disturb the soil as little as possible. And the main I won't say the main reason that I do it because it's not the main reason, but the main or one of the main benefits that I've really noticed is a complete I won't say um, no weeds, but almost a complete lack of weeds. I, I I can't remember the last time I was down on my knees weeding and weeding and weeding like like I have in the past. And it's just there are just hardly any weeds it's it's, it's so nice really. 
yeah, it means you can really enjoy your garden more. Exactly. exactly. And, and um, I'd like just to clarify, um, you know, when, when we talk about no dig, I sometimes get asked on YouTube, you know, people say, oh, with no dig, how do you plant an apple tree? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite, well, you've got to dig a hole. You know, there are times when you need a spade. Don't throw away your spade. Um, or if you're starting with a lot of brambles, um, actually dig them out. You don't have to dig the whole soil to remove all of those bramble roots. Mm. Because chisel around the main stem where you see it coming out of the ground so there are times when you need to put a tool in the soil uh, just selected times and planting things yeah fair enough and then people worry about hoeing well you're just hoeing very light your hoeing should be very shallow and you're usually just tickling the surface of the compost you've applied if you are hoeing for example and then we'll use a trowel to plant a potato for example just make a very small hole or a tomato plant with a, a, a root ball from a pot um, also to remove bindweed maybe that that's a tricky one that's one weed that doesn't go away even with no dig <laughs> not that if you keep on it you can get rid of bindweed within two years and i proved that here um, but it depends how much time you've got just to keep on yeah it. that's it I suppose. so hang in there if you've got bindweed <laughs> but keep removing it that's the key thing so we've talked a little bit about obviously about your garden and some of the flowers as well so with with that in mind i've got a couple of questions for you that are more specifically about i suppose about your garden and your home garden so you can choose to answer this with a flower a vegetable a fruit whichever whichever you um whichever you like but if you had to redesign your whole garden with one type of plant so you can have multiple cultivars or varieties which one type of plant would that be it's got to be vegetables <laughs> and the reason is you know food obviously but they can be so beautiful uh, i think that's an underestimated part of, of a vegetable garden uh, they're all different shapes and colors and the form and pattern in the garden changes all the time and very rapidly so you look at a spring vegetable garden it's totally different to an early summer one and that's totally different to a late summer one mm. and you've got you can just watch that whole pattern unfolding it, it's more work because you're continually intervening to harvest and then replant but yeah vegetables for me okay so in a similar vein if you could only ever use one tool again which is i suppose it's not controversial for no dig um because you're hardly going to choose a spade i would imagine but if you could only ever use one tool again and no other tools which would it be it would be my long-handled wooden dibber which i use for both for marking out uh, lines along beds when i'm planting out and, and even for drawing drills where i'm going to sow seeds so it's, it's basically just like think of an old spade handle say that you've rounded off the end it doesn't want to be too pointed it's it's a kind of blunt rounded end and that's also brilliant for pushing gently into the soil it pushes the compost um, away from it and you get a little hole which you can pop your module plants into your plug plants or if it was loose um, bare rooted leaf plants it would work for that as well you can put just push a bit deeper and push them in and wood does not disturb soil energy this is a bit of a big subject but i, I feel that wood is much kinder to soil than iron is and Actually, that's one reason I have copper tools, but I think that's probably subject for another podcast or whatever. But, you know, a, a long handle wooden dinner for me is something I use every day and, and it's just brilliant. So the age old question, if you had to impart one piece of gardening wisdom on a new garden owner, what would it be? Hmm. OK, that's interesting. Well, from what I've been saying here, it, it follows. It's it's kind of lots of things interlinked, but the, the end result is disturb the soil as, as little as possible. You will need to sometimes, and that's totally fair and appropriate, but respects the soil life process. The soil has wildlife as much as the wildlife you can see. The 
But the thing about the soil is it's not visible. And when I started organic growing in the 80s, people were talking about wildlife a lot and looking after wildlife through being organic at the same time as they were rotivating their soil. And that, for me, doesn't make sense because that's ignoring the, the wildlife in the soil. So that's the, what I'd urge any new gardener to respect, the, the bits they can't see. And, mm. and it then works for you because you, you haven't disturbed it. it. It couldn't do its thing. Charles's aptly titled book, No Dig, is due from DK Books in September and can be pre-ordered now through all good booksellers. You can follow Charles on Instagram at charles underscore dowding and you can also find his YouTube channel by searching for Charles Dowding on YouTube. If you've enjoyed this episode and season, then why not rate and review? You can even subscribe for future podcast episodes directly into your podcast app of choice. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at View from the Potting Bench to follow my gardening journey.